0: Hey, Vince McMahon, it's time for this week's Stick to Wrestling podcast. Oh, no, give me a break. Oh, brother.
1: I find myself in times of trouble. Mother Mary comes to me speaking words of wisdom. Let it be the Stick to Wrestling podcast. I want to thank the Beatles for writing that song about their favorite podcast, Stick to Wrestling. I am John McAdam. This is Stick to Wrestling. And if you give us 60 minutes, perhaps indeed we'll give you a wicked good and a raw bone podcast. Before I get rolling, I want to invite everyone to join the Facebook page. This time you really want to join. I'll get into that in a moment. But if you go going to Facebook, search Stick to Wrestling, ask to be in, you'll be in. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Just search John McAdam. Follow the guy who has the Stick to Wrestling logo as his avatar. I want to thank everyone who has donated to the show, especially Rob Raines. Very uh, generous donation. Thank you very much, sir. And if you would like to donate to Stick to Wrestling, we, do this for, we don't this. We do charge for the podcast. We don't even do ads. Uh, you can donate via PayPal at prowrestlingarchives at gmail.com. Finally getting time to get to the show. We're going to do something completely different this time. We are going to go over an episode of Georgia Championship Wrestling from February 27th, 1982. I came up with this idea the weekend after our last show when Jamie Ward was on. It dawned on me. We were talking about the Madison Square Garden shows from 1982. I have the audio of the buildup of those shows, and I didn't use it. Like, I didn't think of it. But now we will be using some audio from this edition of Georgia Championship Wrestling, and I will put up a link in the group uh, to YouTube where you can watch the episode as well. I thought it was an outstanding episode. I kind of picked one at random. And here to discuss the show with me, rejoining the show, Mr. Vincent Walter. Vincent T- Waller, excuse me, thank you for coming on.
2: All good, and i so grateful to be asked to come back three times as uh, hopefully an indication
1: of uh, a modicum of success. I, I believe so, and I also believe that since the last time you were on Stick to Wrestling, <laughs> sir, you are no longer a bachelor. That's correct. I got married uh, to my wonderful, beautiful wife. Congratulations to both of you. Thanks so much. All right. We are going to start with the beginning of Georgia Championship Wrestling. We're going to have the music. When the music started playing in 1982, it made me so happy. I, I get identified as a WWF guy, but no, this was my go-to show. I was at my happiest every Saturday at 6:05. Let's play the intro. <laughs>
3: It's another hour of Georgia Championship Wrestling, and what an hour it's going to be. First of all, we will be talking a little bit later on to the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. We'll be seeing the angel in action, Mike Jackson. Also, we'll be talking to uh, Ron Fuller. The Tennessee stud is now known as the Georgia stud. Uh, uh, Bad Bad Leroy Brown. We'll be seeing a brand-new tag team combination in action also. Uh, They're new to uh, to us uh, here on Georgia Championship Wrestling, Buddy Rose and Rick Oliver. We'll be going all the way to Nagasaki, Japan uh, to see some great Japanese competitors. Rod Piper is with me. And uh, Rod, of course, uh, has some conversation he wants to carry on at this time, I think, with uh, Mr. Ollie Anderson and Stan Henson.
0: Well, you see... Looking at it from a wrestler's point of view, it's truly interesting to see two competitors like this. What you're looking at is half the world's tag team champion right there, Mr. Ole Anderson, and Mr. Stan Hansen, 310 pounds of Texan. And I'd like to ask you something, not that I don't know the answer myself, but I know that they don't. When you're talking $25,000 in a tag team tournament and you're going up against somebody who's maybe been a friend before, what does that mean to you? Who have I ever had as a friend? Who have you ever had as a friend? I admire you, and you admire us, and we're all, in that respect, maybe together. But when it comes to $25,000, big ones, you're talking about some of the people that you like, like the Briscoes or whatever. You throw the Japs in there. I tell you, this is going to be the most interesting time in the history of wrestling because teams from all over the country are competing in cities all around the world. But you're looking right here. At the greatest team in wrestling today, when Hanson and Anderson get in the ring, they're just like you, Ruddy. We I understand say, what it's like to win. I must say, Mr. Anderson, he being a single wrestler and you a tag wrestler, you could not have picked a finer partner than Stan Hanson. You know, that's right. Never mind about being friends. Never mind about all this stuff, the blood kin and everything. That's not going to mean nothing. The only thing that's going to mean something is who gets in there and gets the job done. And Anderson and Hanson got it done
3: before, and we're going to do it again. The hook and the. They and Rod Viper is certainly right in that respect. They are perhaps uh, the most, one of the most powerful and most dangerous tag team combinations in existence today. We have a match in the ring, so let's turn it to the ring at this time.
1: All right. Good heel interview with Ole Anderson and Stan Hansen. I love it when they say, when it comes to $25,000, we have no friends. Um, a very effective interview, in my opinion.
2: So there's a lot to unpack here. Um, obviously, Oli cuts a great interview, and I have to back up two episodes to episode 200. I think you had asked a question of, of one of your three wonderful guests. Uh, if anybody, or past or present, could have a podcast. Uh, you guys left out Oli. Um He's obviously got opinions, and that would be a hilarious podcast. I, and I would totally listen to that for, I don't care if it's three hours of, of him telling me exactly why so-and-so was the shit. <laughs> It,
1: it, um, it would be an interesting podcast.
2: And and I can, I can swear now because it's, it's you know, big daddy, uh, Brian last uh, can <laughs> drop that many S bombs. I feel a little better about it. Um, <clears throat> and then obviously Stan Hansen was an absolute unit, <laughs> you know, well played Japan for taking this man's best years for yourselves. You know, uh, <laughs> I don't think Hansen, if I, if I recall, there's a lot, there's a lot of content to unpack on this show. Um, Hanson doesn't wrestle a match on this show, but you know, I'm, I'm grateful for what we got.
1: Uh you know what? And I have to cut in with this. Um, I stupidly i di- I directed everyone to the YouTube sh- uh, channel, right? I my guest, my producer, and then I watch a DVD of the show because it was better quality. I figured, okay, what I have is the same thing that's on YouTube, but it's you know just just a, a better watch. And on my on mine, Stan Hansen does wrestle a singles match, but
2: oh, I'm anyway, sorry. And you know no, what? I probably have it in my notes somewhere. I'll probably get to it. Um, I just want to go more global than that. And, and you mentioned that you were, this is like your high point as a fan. Like I'm at a high point at in 2022 watching this stuff. I mean, it just, you weren't just, it's not just like you and the time, and the moment and not, not knowing better. It's like, no, this is, this is objectively an awesome show. And if you don't mind me, can I back up to so a 5,000 foot perspective? Of course. I mean, 82 Georgia was just cooking with gas. Like if, you know, is this gonna be a theme for me here? Like, it's like I'm a lake fish, and you just drop me in the ocean, and I'm like, this is awesome and scary and wow! Like, the grass is so much green on the other side. I I obviously grew up a WWF Mark. If you listen to my last couple of shows. Uh, I'm not like a Jace Nakarato level of of young, but um, am I confusing him? Is that he's like thirty something ish?
1: I don't even. I think he's like thirty something ish. <laughs> I'm not
2: sure. Right, right. So like, he didn't get some references that I wouldn't get, but um, I you know. I mean, he didn't get some references I would get, but I, I mean, it's just, I, I've, I've ensconced myself at some point of just, you know, WWF of 82, you know, I got old tapes. I, I watched those shows and yeah, this is just better. This is just better. You know, at a glance in every way. And of course I had a moment of readjustment. Okay. Not better in every way. I'm going to have some criticisms, but there's going to be an oddly small amount. There's of of wrestle prep here, like even adjusting for whatever factors, it is just better in most ways. And I mean WWF is my home team or WWE or WWF. Um, but I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like this isn't some high quality stuff overall. I you know, I'm generally aware of wrestling history outside of my WWF fandom. I've I've seen MWA matches of uh, plenty of them, but it's kind of just in, in isolation and watching everything in context, it's just like wow, eighty two Georgia, wow. And I kind of had to readjust my viewing. Like I knew going into it, you know, I, I'm not, I, I am 40 ish, you know, uh, the issue isn't It's like not the show it's me. Like I know going into it, like I've got to put my phone down. I've got to give it my full attention. It's a different kind of watching. Isn't it
1: John? Oh, totally. I mean, we were, I, I al- almost always watched it with my friends and we were transfixed to that television. And it's like, you know, sometimes you get excited and you can't help but not be quiet, but like the rule was, hey, be quiet.
2: And there's like, and maybe some of the stuff I got to make a video game analogy. You know, if you, if you're an old school gamer, you grow up and you expect games to be tough and you were just grateful for what you got. And it's like That's nowadays you know, I, we've got this TikTok-style entertainment generation, and I'm sure that a lot of people, if if they were to watch it, you pluck out, you know, a modern-day AEW fan, that that's all they know, or a modern-day WWE fan, they're going to say, oh, my gosh, I haven't been stimulated. There's been no crazy intro or flash or high spots, and it's been a whole five seconds. <laughs> um, and you kind of got to, like, take their phone away and lock them, through a, lock them in a room and say, do not watch this through your phone. Don't multitask like watch the whole thing and then you'll get it. And again, to circle back to the video game analogy, like I know that there's probably some 200 hour RPG that if I got into, I would really enjoy it. But of course, like I'd rather just be, you know, playing some grand theft auto because I can get some stimulation in like five seconds. I can appreciate both. Um, but I just kind of anticipated that I'm going to have to go into this watching it. Not ironically, And I have to get mentally prepared for that. It's not a turkey burger. I need to dress up, you know, it's a steak. Come hungry to fully appreciate it. You know what I
1: mean? Yeah, and, you know, using a video game analogy, I mean, I am old enough to remember, like, walking up to my friends and saying, you know, hey, there is this unbelievably cool video game called Space Invaders, right? And I saw a Space Invaders maybe five or six years ago in an arcade, and I played it just for the nostalgia, and even the, the nostalgia did not hold up. It's just not good by today's standards, but it, the Georgia Wrestle Championship Wrestling, it's different by today's standards, but I, I really think it's better, and well, we'll go over the, the reasons as this go, thing goes on, one thing Ole Anderson said, and I always tell people this, it's like, you know, Ole Anderson referred to uh, Tenru and Saruta as the Japs. And even in 1982, you did not say that. So if you're watching oh, there's this- there's a whole match, bunch of it. You got to expect that. Oh, yeah. I mean, but if you're watching this, don't say, oh, my God, people were awful in 1982. No, Ole was awful for using that term. We all knew better. First match- Tom Pritchard versus Mike Jackson. What did you think of this match, Vincent?
2: So it's hard for me to give it a star rating. I mean, it's excellent for what it was. It's like, oh, if they came out there and they pulled out all the stops, uh, you know, it just kind of kills the rest of the show. I mean, what I, what I was looking at was the overarching context In context. I thought it was excellent, you know, just in the sense that you don't want your opener outshining everything else, but you wanted to establish a baseline And this established a baseline of realism. I love the little details. I mean, you had one guy at one point in the headlock, the other guy's awkwardly jamming his elbow into the opponent's face. If you look close, you can like, oh, that's a struggle. That's a fight. As opposed to nowadays that they want somebody, if you're you're in the top row in the back of the stands, you can see like, oh, that's exciting action. But I just love those little subtle details. And I think that, again, it's going to be a theme for me throughout the show. It's like, That makes realistic sense. Why? Why would you want to make your opponent comfortable? I I think we've seen matches where you sort of see, if you're looking close, you can see the seams where they're kind of taking care of their opponent. I and and me again as a fan, I'm I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm just a fan. I'm not a business insider. I, you know, Bob, and I'll bring up Bob Orton. I was end up shitting with Bob Orton. I love Bob Orton. He's obviously super skilled, but. He was slaughtered for being smooth. I don't want smooth. I I want, you know, I don't want a worker's worker. I want chaotic fights are supposed to be sloppy and chaotic. You know, would anybody describe a Mike Tyson or Conor McGregor fight as smooth?
1: I mean, I thought this was an excellent match. Absolutely excellent. I really don't have a star rating for it, but it was it was a babyface match that was all action. And like you said, they it looked like they were really going at it. They were really trying to make each other uncomfortable, and they were really trying both to win the match. And one good thing about this whole episode— Gordon Soli is doing commentary, and Roddy Piper is doing color. Piper is a heel, and they did this thing where you know Roddy Piper says, "Oh, I'm getting all kinds of mail. You people say I'm talking too fast. You don't understand. I will talk very slowly for you." And he was, it was, it was subtle. I'm going to use that term so many times. It was subtle. It wasn't over the top healing, but he had this this condescending way about him. And I loved the Roddy Piper, Gordon Soly relationship. I mean, these guys, Piper was the bad guy. Gordon Soly was, I mean, as good guy as it gets, but they were buddies. They they were partners. Another
2: continuing thing for me, uh, John, I mean, I, I definitely agree that um I literally have the exact same note that, you know, Piper is so wonderfully subtle as a heel here. People complain, I'll try to slow down for them. But he said it like, again, like in his, you could, you could believe that in his mind, he was doing his best for the fans. Like he, he wasn't trying to be condescending, you know, like he was a great heel believes he's right. And it honestly sounded like I'm trying my best for you people. You know, like, not like you idiots think I talk too fast. I'll slow it down for you. It was no, oh, you know, no, that's, that's okay. Or, or you didn't think I, I talked too fast. You should listen faster. It wasn't any of that. It was just like, so, and I understand now why people say like this was the best Piper. I'm not going to necessarily disagree with that. I think people underrate the WWF Piper and maybe this is just, you know, WWF Mark defending WWF Piper, but I think he kind of adjusted to what he had to be to be like a larger than life, you know, person in the land of the dinosaurs.
1: I loved WWF Roddy Piper, or, or at least the beginning of it. And I liked him as a baby. There too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, it was funny because, you know, Roddy Piper's doing this thing. It's almost like, oh yeah, I'll do this. I'm annoyed by it, but I'll do it. And he can't help, but he's trying not to be annoyed, but he can't help himself. He's trying to even like not let on that he's being annoyed. Yes. <laughs> like it was. It was so
2: slick, and I mean, like, huge points for that. I mean, that's a level of subtlety that WWF could not approach throughout the 80s, I mean, except for rare moments. Um, I will say that part of me was a tiny bit conflicted in that I never liked a top wrestler, like, seemingly in his prime, commentating or managing without any particular reason or backstory that is obvious to the viewer being dumped in there. Like, how, how do you reconcile that with your in-ring aspirations like you know like mr perfect managing flair okay in retrospect uh you know perfect had a like, serious back injury i didn't know that i didn't know that until many years later or like a young raven or johnny polo managing and commentating he went out to do much greater that was just an odd to me and i kind of think it hurts him in a certain way but I, I i have to say piper did his best and and did a good job of like putting himself over throughout as an in-ring talent and, and also balancing it without like putting him in ring action at the same time
1: no he did always took it as okay this just doesn't wrestle on tv he's obviously he's feuding with bob armstrong already you know they fought at the omni they fought around the horn so i always took it that way right i mean even then i just i just wish that they made that a little bit more clear for the audience like in a i don't know i don't know how you
2: do that it kind of takes me out of it a tiny bit but, I mean, overall, it was, again, fantastic. I'm, I'm nitpicking for for lack of flaws to find. Again, it was great. Just, it's different for, for me to see, like, oh, not everybody has to be heel versus face. You had a baby face versus, I guess, presumably a baby. Like, no one was the obvious heel. And you had a clear winner, which, is, again, is like, that, wow, that's for, for that day and age and what I'm used to, I was not expecting that.
1: Yeah, it was a babyface versus babyface match. And as if the match wasn't good enough, they threw this little wrench in the match toward the at the end. Uh, Mike Jackson keeps wrestling. He doesn't realize he's been pinned. So I thought that was a great little thing that they did.
2: Absolutely. And again, it just, it, it establishes a baseline of this is a sport and one guy's trying to win and they're just, you know, if, if to the extent he's trying to hurt the other guy, it's so he can get the pin. It's not out of any mean-spiritedness. It's just good like, you know, a little bit of rough, uh, you know, um, in between the lines. Uh, that's the kind of stuff you can expect.
1: I, I thought the match was fantastic. All right, next up, we have Dusty Rhodes showing up at the WTBS studio, and he does an interview. Let's hear from the American Dream right now.
3: As I promised, he's with me now. The American dream, Dusty Rhodes. And Dusty, welcome aboard. Last week, Dust, here on the program, Gary Hart brought out the great Kabuki and then uh, went through a demonstration, if you will, of Kabuki's uh, infinite skill with a kendo stick, the uh, dragon-shy situation. And uh, frankly, there's a lot of people worried, Dust. well, God, it something that uh, uh, Dusty Rose is not involved
0: in, uh, in a Kindle match. You know, the Texas Death match and the Bull Road match, all different kinds of matches. In professional wrestling, there is this match. I have a uh, Kindles or the Dragon Dragonshy matches, you understand? Got me scared to death. You can see how scared I am of this man. I'm shaking. I couldn't even sleep last night thinking about the Dragon Dragonshy match. I'm going to tell you, you know what I'm going to do with the sticks. You know what I'm going to do with this thing. I mean, I don't want to be saying that on the TV. You know, I feel so good about this thing. I heard a little old, pretty little girl out here hollering a while ago. Screaming, say, give me some Hollywood. Give me some Hollywood. Jack, I am Hollywood. This is Hollywood. Gerald Hart, Kabuki, Ole Anderson stand to Larry Hanson. Anybody that's wants any of Hollywood, he's out here all the time. Kindle matches, Scared to death. You know, my main people want to tell black fellas and get a shot and read this. Because so that's what it's all about right there. That's what it's all about. The world today right there. And it is heaven and hell. And I take care of business all the time. Gary Hart, Anyway, we're riding Papa. I thought he was going to interview me. we riding Papa. <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh, my. All right.
4: Let's turn it over to our next match.
1: Uh, Dusty bringing the extreme snark to the WTBS studio. You know, a lot of people say that guys like, uh, I don't know, Tommy Rich, for example, Brad Armstrong, they were too Southern for the Northeast. And let me tell you guys something. We all thought Dusty Rhodes was so cool back in the day. We love that guy. And the same thing with, you know, Tommy Rich, the, the old Tommy Rich. I mean, I don't know if it was just a Nashville, New Hampshire thing, but you know these guys were over, and we loved their southernness.
2: I mean, Dusty was just over. Period. This is '82. Dusty. Um, there was a bunch of stuff that happened afterward in terms of his booking and stuff that he gets hated on. And and you know, I try to keep perspective. Never let that overshadow anything. I think we had a discussion in the Stick to Wrestling Facebook group just about Rick Flair's latest shenanigans and how people crap on him for that. And I'm just like, you know, if you were the <laughs> we got records of the builder of the great pyramid suddenly and uh people and and also contemporary criticism of him for his drunken antics like would we really let that overshadow what he built i mean like there's a reason dusty is dusty and he was just like obviously he's going to cut an elite promo and he's just going to be over and he's going to just transcend everything
1: I mean, yeah, he was easily one of the five biggest attractions, biggest stars in the business at this point, and it was always a treat to see him on WTBS. He wasn't on every week. He was like a special attraction, and that that actually made it better to me.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think it goes back to a larger discussion we had at a previous uh, Stitcher Wrestling podcast about just overexposure in general and, you know, me arguing that, you know, just taking every guy around the horn so often, like what if you just had them wrestle less and just, you know, allow them to put in more, which is, you know, just uh, along that, alongside that, uh, that train of thought.
1: Yeah, you're right. Sometimes less is more and guys get overexposed and Dusty, you know, whether it be by accident or not, he did not overexpose himself on WTBS until like 86, 87. But anyway, next match, we have Frank Morrell, a.k.a. The Angel versus Ron Horn and I mean, it was a good match, but I love the whole thing where you have two preliminary guys fighting on TV. And I I just wish the WWF did that more with like SD Jones, Baron Mikel a Johnny Rodge, etc. Maybe this is an advantage to having a two hour show as opposed to one hour, a one hour show. But I I was so happy that they got to uh, showcase these two wrestlers my main takeaway from
2: this match. I mean, it was a decent match. Like you said, it was like two people. I wasn't that familiar with, I guess my, my biggest question was, is why do we have, um, motifs in pro wrestling, like the angel. So like, I, I assume this harkens back to like the French angel or whatever angel. I mean, did anybody in 82 get this reference? Like does does it, did anybody know, you know, what a nature boy is? Does anybody know what a Moon Dog is? Like, in wwf right like it's like there's other things like that i struggle to come up with them at this moment but hopefully you know what i mean like it was a thing Uh, it was explained at some time in another territory and those in the business might get the reference but how do you expect the fans to follow it like we give the wwe shit for the hall of fame not being physical but at least they finally put out the concept of their history being something worth preserving and perceiving you know what i mean
1: I I totally agree. I, I I accept the WWE Hall of Fame for what it is. I appreciate it for what it is, and I don't worry about what it isn't. But um, I mean, I, again, a good match, nowhere near as good as the opener. Um, but I I liked it, and and yeah, I do agree. I wish every wrestler, and I've said this before, I I wish he was the Angel Frank Morrell instead of just the Angel. Like you don't have a baseball player just named you know the Moon Dog or whatever. Right. <laughs> so it's, I mean, it, it, it was good for match two. It definitely was. And uh, it, did, it, did it feel like filler to you? It didn't feel like filler to me.
2: No, I mean, again, this is, this is going to go towards, I, I assume Ole was the booker at this time. He was. And, and, you know, credit to ollie because I'm I'm going to, again, it, this will be a theme as we go along. I'm going to keep giving credit to just absolute brilliance in certain ways. I mean, most ways, I mean, number, and just here it's, you had the pretty boy win the first match, I mean, obviously they, they had position printer for whatever reasons, pretty boy, but not the second match, second match goes to the angel, the big, you know, the old crusty looking guy. So it just seems it, it they were, they're putting on this theme of, you know, it, these are fights and they're random and one guy's going to win and one guy's going to lose. And there's no guarantee that it's, it, it's your favorite
1: and the the first two matches were evenly matched they weren't one sided squash matches like the wwf always had
2: absolutely and again it's it, it's a theme it's like it, it's there's a it's just a, it's a it, it feels random it feels like a, just a random
1: distribution of results And I think that's – I always thought that was a good thing. All right, more audio. We will now hear from Bad Bad Leroy Brown and Ron Fuller, who did an interview after this match. To my
3: right, Bad Leroy Brown. To my left, the Georgia stud, Ron Fuller. And I know, of course, uh, last week, uh, Leroy, some comments were made about the – absence of Ron Fuller, but I see he's here all six feet nine of them today.
0: You know the big fellas here are garden and he's here for one reason, and that is to let the superstar and the super destroyer know what it's all about. You know, Garden, things been going down, things getting heavy. But me and the Tennessee studs going to get what's coming to us. And whenever, whenever we meet the superstar and the super destroyer, you better believe one thing, that me and the Tennessee studs going to give up and are to us Tell them about it.
3: Sorry, Leroy.
0: Let me just say gordon i'm sure you guys haven't forgotten and the reason i haven't been here is i've been busy but you recognize this don't you super destroyer it came off of your head i got a nice collection of them at home but i really prize this one gordon because it it's got a lot of skin inside it that came off with its face when i took it all that leroy and i want to do gentlemen is take next time not one but two and we're gonna see who's underneath those masks that's exactly what we're looking for
3: Okay, there you have it. Bad, bad Leroy Brown and uh, the Georgia stud. As so many people have written in and said that, please, he went to school here in Georgia and was all stayed here in Georgia. Let's call him the Georgia stud. And if you don't mind, I'll refer to you that way. Fine with me, Gordon. Uh, This is kind of like home to me anyhow, so that's fine with me. Fair enough. And right now we're going to see the Georgia stud in action in the ring.
1: OK, just so, so everyone knows, um, Ron Fuller was dangling one of Super Destroyer's masks that he took off of him. And that's what he was referring to. Uh, I didn't catch this when I was watching it in 1982, but Gordon Soly says that so many people wrote in and asked that Ron, Ron Fuller be called the Georgia stud and not the Tennessee stud. Oh, boy. I mean, uh,
2: you know, sully has got credibility, so he can say whatever he wants.
1: <laughs> Leroy Brown is not remembered as an all-time great, to say the least. Um, but he did a really good job doing this interview. I thought uh, I always enjoyed him in, in Florida when he was a heel. I mean, I, I, the guy had some talent. Wasn't he one of the guys
2: that Watts had as a potential like backup to Jyd? Like when he was he was trying to get other people over.
1: Uh, no, spot. he he did not bring in Leroy Brown. Uh, then, as a matter of fact, I'm not sure if Leroy Brown wrestled at all in 1984 because I know he was having, I know he was a a severe diabetic, and I know he had heart oh, okay. heart issues. I mean, Leroy
2: Leroy Brown didn't particularly move the needle for me. He didn't stand out as like particularly bad. Uh, Ron Fuller was what I expected, like you know, guy who's You know, uh, roots in the wrestling business go deep. Of course, he's going to cut a solid promo. um, And, you know, rather impressive guy in general.
1: Yeah, I mean, these are two guys who I could see coming up to the WWF, uh, having a run against Bob Backlund, and then either of them having a run against Andre the Giant. Like, this is something I was waiting for in 1982.
2: Absolutely. And um, I guess, and then, then this transitions into the match itself. Um, and you know, Ron Fuller takes care of business is my my recollection.
1: I uh, yes, and I thought that was another good match. Again, far more interesting than most of the stuff offered up by the other promotions. It's it's competitive and Ron Ron Fuller uh Pins Bobby Garrett with a, a authentic looking like a. They called it the Fuller. Uh, what is it? I forget what they call it. I should have written it down, but it looked le- legit as far as like wrapping up a guy for a pinfall.
2: I mean, I think so. Here's my literal note on this for the past 20 years or so, it seems like, uh, short of a schoolboy roll up, you have to beat someone senseless, aka three finishers, to win. People don't win with slick pins like Fuller did here. Um, I I once asked, how do you reconcile MMA with pro wrestling and kayfabe? And this is the answer right here. Vince changed the game.
1: Exactly. And one thing, I I know a lot of people, well, Vincent, you're not familiar with this, but as soon as you hear the name Bobby Garrett, one of the earliest editions of Georgia Championship Wrestling I ever saw, Ric Flair and Bobby Garrett were wrestling, and Bobby Garrett suffered a legitimate and badly broken arm. He just landed wrong from a body slam. Yeah, and my friends and I are watching this, and we're like, oh, my God, did that just happen? I thought no one got hurt. You know, we're thinking, well, no one ever gets hurt, and then you think about it, and it's like, well, you take enough body slams, you're going to land wrong. And this guy, it was it was pretty brutal looking. Tomorrow night,
3: at the Omni, here in Atlanta, of course, Rick Flair, NWA World Heavyweight Champion, defends his title against the challenge of 6 times world champion Harley Race. That's right. And tomorrow night... One thing left for me, and that's Harley Race.
0: The Funks, the Briscoes, Dusty Rhodes, Tommy Rich, they've all been mine. Tomorrow night, I'm going to take Harley Race apart piece by piece and show the wrestling world why I'm the greatest of all time. Harley, sweetheart, the Omni, you're going to be mine.
3: We'll find out.
1: There is a guy on TV who is absolutely styling, and it's Gordon Soley. I mean, he's an older man, but he's dressed like a younger man. He looks great. Ric Flair is wearing a three-piece suit uh, without a tie, and by 1982, three pieces were out. That said, great interview by Ric Flair. All right, now let's go back to some audio. We have Bob and Brad Armstrong doing an interview.
3: Bob and Brad Armstrong with me. Brad, a big night tomorrow
0: night. Exactly right, you know. See, I know me and my, my father and myself are stepping in high company, but I just want to tell everybody we're sitting on ready. And then quite a tour. Right, brother, all points north. Lansing, Toledo, Grand Rapids, Charleston. And look out Dayton. I got what I wanted there. Southern boys going north. Ain't nothing wrong with the north and south. We headed that way. Snow country, look out, we're coming. And the big one, like you said, the Omni tomorrow night. Me and Brad got to be in there pitching. We we get some heavyweights, but we'll be ready tomorrow night. Count on
1: it. Weather's clearing up. It's going to be a great night tomorrow night. In the mid and late 80s, Bob and Brad Armstrong were an interesting team because I felt like, and I liked Bob Armstrong, okay, but I felt like he was too old and his presence was holding Brad back. Not in 1982, though. Bob still is and looks relatively young and he is an asset to Brad Armstrong, in my opinion.
2: I thought Bob Armstrong looked like a million bucks. I mean, just standing there like, wow, this guy's an athlete. I mean, I... I heard some wise, wise old sage at a certain forum at a certain point in time say that like Bullet Bob was like the amalgamation of all the good points. Who can cut a promo? You had Brad who can work in the ring. Uh, I don't know the whole Armstrong
1: lineage, but the point is
2: like that like he had all the pieces and parts put together, and I could I could sort of see that right right here and there.
1: Yeah, and he was a legend in Georgia going back to the late 60s. So, you know, he's definitely a, an effective piece of the promotion. And, you know, Brad, Brad is doing well at, in his role as a kid in his early 20s, you know, trying to make it in wrestling. I, I, I like the whole thing. Absolutely. I mean, that's what you can expect. I mean, uh, Brad was what? They were saying he was 18, 21, something like that? I believe he was 20 or 21 at this moment. He might have been 22, but still very young. I mean, what do you
2: expect? You know, he's standing there. (laughs) He showed up. He looks good. Uh, Later on, we see him wrestle, and uh, he holds his own.
1: Definitely. He looked like a guy who had a ton of potential. All right, a little more audio. Uh, Let's go to newcomers in Atlanta. Guys you you don't associate with the, the Atlanta promotion. Let's hear from them.
3: In just a moment, we're going to see uh, Playboy uh, Buddy Rose and uh, the Ripper Oliver in action uh, in the ring as a tag team combination. And uh, gentlemen, I understand that uh, you've just arrived from the uh, west coast of the country.
0: Well, you see, they're coming from the north, they're coming from the south, they're coming from the east, and they're coming from the west. And the best is coming from the west. Playboy Buddy Rose and Rick Oliver are going after the $25,000, and we're going after those World Tag Team Championships. As you know, in professional wrestling, We are the best that wrestling has to offer. It was the San Francisco 49ers in football, West Coast, world champions. It was the Los Angeles Dodgers in baseball, West Coast, world champions. And it's going to be Playboy Buddy Rose and Rick Oliver, West Coast, world champions. Right, Rick? That's right. It don't matter if it's the Briscoes, the Fox, the Armstrongs. We're in the area. We're after the $25,000, and we are after the World Tag Team belt to carry back to the West Coast. That's it. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I'd like to say something else. A lot of wrestlers come out here and they say they're going to do this and they're going to do that, and they look all around. Well, I look you people right in the eye, and a man that looks another man in the eye speaks the truth. And we are speaking the truth. We are going to take those championships, and we are going to be the best that you people have ever seen
3: coming from the West. Thank you so very much, Playboy Buddy Rose and uh, Ripper Oliver. You'll see them in action right now. You'll see it. Yeah, okay. Well, we're going to find out. We're going to give them ample opportunity to prove their point uh, right now as we switch to the ring.
1: Well, I personally think Buddy Rose owed it to me to point out that the Boston Celtics were also defending champions. (laughs) I have a lot to say here. They flew in not just not just to be on TV for the tournament as well, but they're flying from Portland to Atlanta to get exposure on WTBS. I mean, talk about just ringing the bell that man, the business is changing thanks to cable.
2: That was not my takeaway. I mean, now that you mention it, I yeah, sure. <laughs> um, I I just thought like you know, Buddy Rose is always looking slim and trim, pounds, 217 pounds, two one seven. And uh, I my, my my big takeaway was that um, I don't know, but Buddy Rose just overshadowed his tag partner. Who and oh know,
0: yeah,
2: he just not that his tag partner. And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not saying his name. What's his name? A Rip Oliver. Rip Oliver. Not that Rip Oliver was bad. He showed me some moves. Buddy Rose was just so amazing. Like he was just. I mean, he was just an elite level worker, like outlier level worker. And it's just sad that, you know, more didn't come of him in the the grand scheme of things. I don't know if that's like he didn't care. He didn't have the the aggressiveness in life. But he had like a crazy skill set. I mean, he was, you know, definitely competent on the mic and just like elite in the
1: ring. He really was elite in the ring. I thought he was really good during this interview. I thought that was was just an excellent interview and I agree with you, you know, nothing against Rip Oliver, but, but Playboy Buddy Rose was clearly the star of that team.
2: And I always remember just like reading like, you know, it's like Rose and Summers, like like what like but then, then they were putting over like what a good team he was with Oliver and how like well connected
1: they were. Were they really a team for any length of time? Yes, they were in Portland. They routinely okay. teamed up. It was like Rose was the number one heel and Rip Oliver was number two, but he was clearly like the, the protege.
2: And if we can just turn to the match, it was like, it was nice, you know, to watch, um, you know, Piper on commentary, acknowledging other promotions, which again, is just a, a breath of fresh air. If you're a WWF person or fantasy <laughs> WWF, it just it's always had the best ring for me for all the names.
1: Uh, right in my notes, Piper acknowledges his former relationship with Buddy Rose. They were tag team partners in Portland, and then they had the big split. I would put this show up against, you know, any Raw or AEW
2: show or whatever you want for the last, you know, so many years. And if I had to argue in front of a impartial tribunal, this is the kind of detail I would point out. Like, they, just acknowledging history, it's just a comment. It's a thread of realism that runs through the whole show. And it's just like, it's a breath of fresh air.
1: It, it really was. And and I did appreciate it 40 years ago when, when I got it on cable. Hey, while we're talking about Buddy Rose, I want to give a shout out to Brad Breitzman. Brad contracted COVID and he's ha- going through a rough period right now. Brad and Buddy did not get along when Buddy was still with us. And I just wanted to... to Wish Brad all the best. He's a great guy. He's been a, a great guest on the show, I and mean, he'll be back soon. But all right, let's go to um. No, no. I,
2: before we before we go to the next one, I yeah, I Brad's yeah. a cool ass dude. I'm sorry to hear that happen. I had COVID myself like two weeks ago. Oh man. And I just wanted to mention like let's let's talk about the clean backbreaker Buddy Rose pulls off at the end of the match. You know and and. Also, I want to bring it back to this is the fourth match by my count. You know, um, every match this far has had a clean finish. Let's let not just let's not gloss over that, John. And this is the first one I felt like where they finish with I beat your ass, as opposed to an overpowering pin. Like it wasn't like you know, it's it's sport, sport, sport. Now it's like I am just I'm I'm just I'm gonna beat your ass, <laughs> you know, like so like. Yeah. They beat they beat the guy up to the point he couldn't kick out, and as opposed to simply tying him up, and then also just again pulling back five thousand foot foot perspective compared to where we are today, it, it just it's amazing that they had the audience condition to be like a, a quote unquote simple backbreaker can finish someone, you know, and like you know fast forward to today, and God bless the soul, like you got a guy Otani right, he was paralyzed taking a buckle bomb suplex which is probably just a transitional spot, like he had the match gone on, right? The poor guy, can, I mean, he's a quadriplegic, as far as I know. And it's just like, that's kind of, G, when I say put the genie back in the bottle, like, that's what I'm talking about, right? Like, it's a better balance between what was happening in the ring and the response you're from the fans, and, and the crowd was just conditioned and educated to accept this as quality entertainment as they should be.
1: I agree with you. I like the current product, but as someone who has been a wrestling fan for way, and it's it's been almost 50 years now. I mean, you the the guys are out there taking bumps that are insane and putting their health at risk. And the bumps don't mean anything anymore. Like it it was one thing if you took a crazy bump and it meant something, but if you watch a WWE, like a a lot, Oh, if you watch WrestleMania, you see so many crazy bumps that you're numb to them. And and we don't have that here.
2: And uh, Don, I appreciate your perspective. I like the current product too. I appreciate the work people put in is like, let me come in with my perfectly chiseled six-pack abs or whatever. Um, let me just do these things that look, like, really spectacular. You know, I know Roddy Piper's book gets shit on, and it was, like, it was, you know, his early book. But, I mean, he had a couple moments of lucidity in there that sounded like it's coming from Roddy. And, and you know, he talked about some match that he had early in his career. I forgot who it was against. And he got shit on by the, by the booker because they were saying, like, I think it was Oli. It was Oli that said like, okay, great. Like, yeah, the crowd popped, but what reason did you give them to come back? How did you make them respect you as a fighter? Like, did you stand your ground? You know, if you're in a street fight and somebody does a backflip off of a, you know, the hood of a car, like, you're just going to take them down and beat the crap out of them. Like, that's not going to impress you. So like, part of it is like, I think what works for this for me is we are not gearing this towards your entertainment." I'm trying to beat the crap out of my opponents. So it's just like, you should be able to just do a really good backbreaker and end the match. You know what I mean? As opposed to like, it just takes, it takes you out of it in a weird way. When like, it seems like it's, it's, it's geared more towards your entertainment as opposed to like, I'm trying to win. I don't care if it looks entertaining to you.
1: I fully agree. I think uh, two guys trying to beat the crap out of each other, trying to win is its own form of entertainment. You know, I mean, going back like 30 years, I thought the New York Giants football team was extremely boring. They did, you know, that run, 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 five-yard pass, run, run. But who was winning the Super Bowl? Right. All right. And, and,
2: And if you're interested, if you're invested in the sport, you're going to look closer, you know, whether or not the casual fans are going to be turned off by that. You're going to look down your nose at them and you're going to say like, this is how you win, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. It, it, we might be too far down the road. I mean, now Oh, definitely. we definitely are. I mean, you can't, I'm not, I'm not saying it's easy to put the genie back
2: in the bottle. I'm just saying yeah. it was a better, healthier, more sustainable balance back then between what was happening in the ring and what the crowd was conditioned educated to accept as quality
1: entertainment. No, I, I I fully agree that, you know, once again, we're talking about less is more, and this, this is almost the theme of watching this show. Anyway, next up, we have a Tommy Rich interview. Now, Tommy gets a bit derided nowadays, but I thought he was absolutely great in 1982. Then this gets good. Let's listen to what Tommy Rich has to say, and let's see what happens.
3: I want to take a couple of moments right now, if I may, to get some uh, analysis uh, uh, by Tommy Wildfire Rich, former World Heavyweight Champion. Tommy, uh, there's been a lot of talk, of course, about the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, and we've had over the years some great, great champions, no question about that. We only have one, however, that's accomplished what uh, Harley Race has accomplished, and I thought it might be interesting today because... You defeated Harley Race for the N.W.A. World Heavyweight Championship, but the man proved the kind of perseverance, the kind of dedication and self-sacrifice that he had because he came back and took the title back from him.
4: Well, you know, that's exactly right. And uh, like you said, Gordon, I've wrestled a lot. I've wrestled Jack Briscoe. I've wrestled Terry Funk. I've wrestled a lot of guys. And I'd have to say, you know, Harley Race is one of the toughest men I've ever wrestled in my life. Six times world heavyweight champion. That pretty well speaks for itself. I'm not taking nothing away from Rick Flair. He's tough. You know, I don't, you know, he might have a little big mouth sometime. But Harley Race, I mean, he's a man you think back and he's the, he's the type of man that he, I mean, he went out and and he didn't come out and hoop and holler and say he was going to do this. He went and he did it, and he did it six times, and therefore I do, I have a lot of respect for Harley Race, and uh, I think it's going to be one heck of a match.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, putting those two together in the ring then, the current NWA World Heavyweight Champion, uh, Rick Flair, who has only had the title for a short period of time and perhaps has not been used to the kind of grueling schedule the champion has to keep, he could be a little over-wrestled, and... Uh, Harley Race knows full well uh, what he's facing.
4: Well, you know, it's kind of like Muhammad Ali. He come back for the last time, and he didn't make it. His back was in the corner, and when he come out, he didn't do the job. And, and Harley Race, to me, is in the same type situation, whereas uh, to me it's his do or die match. If Harley Race don't do it this time, he may not never get another chance. So, therefore, six-times world heavyweight champion, and uh, having his back in the corner like that, he might come out
0: straight. Hey. Now, just a
4: minute. You and I have been drawn and round about this
0: before. This is Georgia Championship Wrestling, a sanction by the NWA. I'm the world champion. And what? That God's green earth gives you the right to come out here and make predictions about me and Harley Race. Larry, let me just say one thing. Let me just say one thing. I didn't come out here to give no predictions or no opinions either. I was asked. But you remember this. Did you ever, anytime you ever wrestled Harley Race, brother, have you ever beat the man? You answer that question, brother. You ain't never beat him. And now, and I'll tell you another thing. No, I'm going to tell you something else now. I'm making a prediction now. I'm putting all the money I got on Harley Race because I hope he beats the daylights out of you. Either way, I want a shot at one of you. And if there's anything left of you
4: when Race gets through, I hope you still have the title. But I don't believe you will because, like I said, Race, this is might be his last chance, and he's going to come out strong.
0: You know, you and I have been rounding around round about this, Gordon Soli. And what gives that emaciated looking punk the right to come out here and make predictions about the world WA anyway champion? And you standing here telling me I might be too hard traveled. Well, look at me, brother. Fun pants, custom made, driving the women wild, flying in a billion jet, riding a biggest somethings. Living a lifestyle unequal by any other human being on the face of the earth. And whether you like it or not, whether you like it with a rich license when a holiday license, you remember one thing: race. You lost that title six times. And you are not going to make an example or use me to bring a record night. Learn to my life. Learn all of it. Funny that Ric Flair is your world champion. Learn to love it because diamonds woo, are forever.
3: Well, it was not our intention to uh, create such an emotional fervor with the NWA world heavyweight champion. could be that uh, he has got some inner worries that he'd prefer not to discuss.
1: Okay, this is why I'm going to provide the YouTube uh, link, and this is why everyone's got to watch the show because the audio alone does not do it justice. Um, when Gordon Soley invited Tommy Rich out to do analysis, I just kind of said, "Yeah, we're gonna get such great analysis from this guy." But Rich was great here. I mean, he just broke it down. And when Ric Flair came out, and Tommy Rich is like, "Hey," you've never beaten Harley race. You should have seen the look on Ric Flair's face. He sold it perfectly. And for a moment he was speechless. It's like he had never thought of that. I think he had beat Harley race, but it doesn't matter. Uh, He just sells it so great. And the way he loses his composure and Vincent, once again, it's the subtle things. It's the little things.
2: Spoiler alert. The whole show is awesome. Everyone should watch it. (laughs) Like You know, (laughs) I mean, that's, that's a big picture and it's just, it, it, it's hard to capture it all. Hopefully we are giving some data points that will let people know that these are significant indicators of an awesome show. The charisma of Tommy Rich is obvious. I mean, it, you know, and in the great scheme of things, Tommy Rich is Mickey Rourke is a wrestler, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, really has, has the full circle, like God bless the guy, like so down to earth, like you, you so relatable, like. And you could just tell, like, this this guy's not an actor. He's not that good of an actor. That's his charisma. Like, he's too dumb to be faking this. Like, that's his life. And he believes every word he's saying. And he's a good-looking kid with a bright future. He's down to earth. He's sincere. he He couldn't be faking this if he was trying to.
1: You're right. That was a lot of Tommy Rich's charisma that he seemed so genuine that he wasn't out there. Acting, Gordon Solie just like slips Ric Flair the ultimate insult at the end when he's like, well, uh, we didn't want to create such an emotional fervor from the world's heavyweight champion.
2: It's like, ouch. I mean, Gordon Soley was also on his A game. And I, I've, I've heard that when he was in Florida, he was on his A-plus game. And, you know, please allow me to mentally prepare for these exponential um, increases in
1: my psyche. Okay, we can do that. By the way, the Ric Flair versus Harley race match from February 28th, 1982, aired in Japan, and it is out there. I mean, I didn't look for it. I I have it. I know I have it somewhere. But I mean, it was a really good match, and you can watch that. Uh, Maybe I'll try to find it for you. Next up, we have footage from Japan. Giant Baba versus King Curtis Ayukea. I am guessing that this is from 1971 or 1972. I couldn't find wow. find out, but Baba, I mean, he's, he looked older in the 80s. He still looks like a young man here.
2: I, I thought he was, um, I, I was, I was mixed on this um, in the match. You know, at moments, they, they both looked tired and, I mean, particularly King Curtis, but they also had moments of just like quick burst energy. And I thought, you know, giant Baba looked rather animated for a guy. His size Curtis took a cartoon bump at one point over the turnbuckle, which really impressed me. Otherwise it was like, you know, garbage punch kick, but I'm glad that, you know, they smartly kept it to a, you know, a short match.
1: Yeah, they only aired maybe five minutes of it, which makes sense. They show you how impressive-looking Baba is because the guy is legit seven foot one or seven foot two, um, and they're like, "Hey, this guy's coming to the Omni." I thought it was excellent use of their television time.
2: It was very slick. Um, I, I, I guess my only, you know, against, you know, th- there were some positives and criticisms. I could see like King Curtis just being a larger than my, than my character where he's like, you can just hear his booming voice, which he was so famous for. I also could see Jay and know, garbage chops that would look really weak, and then you were expected to sell really big for them.
1: Yeah, it's wrestling. You kind of, you know, just put up with the the Baba Chops. Even they were not as bad as they were in the 80s. And now we're seeing footage from Florida of the Briscoes, Jack and Jerry Briscoe, against Mr. Pogo and Hiro Matsuda. Uh, Once again, just showcasing the Briscoes without them having to make the trip up from Florida. And they did a thing. I remember this. Sir Oliver Humperdinck interfered on behalf of his team, uh, Pogo and and Matsuda, and Jack Briscoe put him in the figure four leg lock, and they didn't mention it here in Atlanta because there's really no point, but they did an angle where Briscoe broke the guy's leg. I thought Jack was kind of weak at the striking, but obviously
2: super good at everything else. I I noted that if it was uh, somebody else, some other jobber throwing the same punches at Hiro Matsuda. He probably would have no-sold it and just made him eat the mat.
1: I can totally see that. But, yeah, I mean, uh, the Pogo and Matsuda, uh, and then there was Mr. Pogo and Professor Shinoda who were feuding with the Briscoes in 1981 and 1982.
2: And believe it or not, it was a good feud. I don't – yeah, I I believe that for sure. I mean, those are all all high-level guys.
1: Absolutely. Now we take a break from the wrestling. They cut away from wrestling and CNN comes on and they're like, yeah, there's about to be a verdict in the Wayne Williams trial. Now, for those (laughs) unaware, Wayne Williams was a national story, but it was in Atlanta and supposedly he killed like 25 or 30 people in the Atlanta area. And like within a year, so this was a huge story locally, and the, the story breaks that he's been found guilty.
2: John, I'm shocked that you try to provide this context because you either have an audience that totally gets it because they were there for that, and or you have folks that you would have to bring them up to the level of context that it would just <laughs> – the amount of time it would take, it just seems cost prohibitive.
1: Well, thank you for that. But yeah, I remember watching that in in eighty two, and just like you know, oh wow, and you know, my parents come in, and they want to see what happens to Wayne Williams. But anyway, so they're not watching.
2: I that. just feel like yes. we're we're in a different age. There is the, there, there's not going to be a trial of the century like the media has been. So, and and this is overall a positive thing. There's negatives to it too, and there's positives to it. It's just that you've got such a diverse media, and you can listen to the echo chamber that you want and. <laughs> you're not like beholden to a couple of major networks.
1: No, you're not. It's And like I said, like you said, that's both good and bad. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I mean, just a, a huge national story and it's happening in Atlanta. So it was kind of like, wow. All right. Stan Hansen is back in the ring against, I believe the guy's name was Rick Carr. It was a, a squash match. Stan just beat the crap out of this guy and really, in my opinion, that's what you needed. You needed Stan Hansen to just, you know, not let this guy get any offense in and, and dominate the dude.
2: And a um, couple things. Number one, uh, apologize for my misquote earlier or misstatement that um, there was no Hansen match that I saw on the start. Uh, of course, matter. there was. And I think it just blended into, you know, Hansen just beating the shit out of people because he's a badass. But uh, big picture, um, let's not lose sight of the fact this is the first squash on the card, you know. Again, it's not—it's not like you know, WWF Saturday Morning. Every match is a squash. Like this is—it's just brilliant booking. And I will keep saying this as we go. And part of it was just like, in reality, you would have a random distribution of results. And this is a random distribution. Like, yeah, one guy just is just on a different level than the other, and his Larry is going to take the guy's head off. And he's going to be very badly hurt by that. And he's just going to beat him right away. And that's what happens.
1: And and that's what should have happened. That's absolutely the way this should have been booked. And here's the thing. It always drove me crazy about wrestling. You would have guys on TV, uh, the big stars, uh, Don Morocco, Greg Valentine, Stan Hansen, And they would be against guys who wouldn't even fight back. Like, this was a big problem in Crockett in, like, 85, 86, 87. The the jobbers didn't fight back. As much as Stan Hansen dominated this guy, I mean, you could tell, like, he was trying. He was trying to defend himself. He was trying to get a move in. He just couldn't.
2: Well, this is the other thing. And I had the same takeaway. It's The jobbers here are light years ahead of WWF jobbers. And it was just like, not just like, um, it was a struggle and they were having resistance, but, um, they were just getting their ass kicked and, and there was zero daylight on Hanson's offense. If you watch it close and you zoom in and you look at, you know, you take a screenshot if you want, and it'll be grainy. And if you, could, if you had the technology to enhance enhance, you're not going to see any daylight.
1: It was just, it was fantastically done. Nope, Stan just, you know, he was the big dominant superstar who went out and, and let this guy have it. And, you know, what am I going to say? I mean, if Nebraska, well, if, if, uh, if Alabama plays Southern Miss, I mean, Alabama's going to run up the score. And that's kind of what we had here. Tune
4: in next week as John and Vincent continue their review of Georgia Championship Wrestling. Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. I'm your producer, Lou Kippelman, and until next week, so long from the Peach State.